All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What the fucking Navians? What's going on? This is Mark Marin. This is my podcast. You've tuned in. You've downloaded. You're streaming. Whatever you're doing, it's me. I'm here. I'm here in your head. How's it going? Uh, today on the show, uh, actor Michael Shannon. You've seen him in everything. Yeah, Boardwalk Empire, the movie uh, based on the play Bug. He was in uh, Revolutionary Road. He was in, uh, we'll talk about what he was in. But he's, uh, he's an intense dude. He generally thought of as a, a heavy, scary, but, uh, but I had a very beautiful, thoughtful conversation with the guy. And believe me, I was nervous. I didn't know if he would talk. He doesn't seem like the guy. You watch him on screen. It's like, does that guy talk? Well, he does. And, uh, he, and he, he's, a, he's a real actor with a real, uh, a real sweet, uh, you know, intense story uh, about you know, getting to where he is and his thoughts on things. Uh, it's been what, however long it's been since I told you I took the Twitter off my phone. Now, I mean, some of you were you know quick to jump on me when I go on on my computer and say like, ah, I thought you couldn't stay away, huh? I, baby steps, man. Baby steps. But I will say this. Yeah, I've been off it for a few days. Like, what is, I don't know, however long it's been, four or five days, halfway through a novel. Uh, I'm looking at people and I'm looking at them hard. And I'm, and I'm thinking about things at the pace that my brain naturally operates on. And uh, it's a welcomed, it's not even a distraction. It's a fucking revelation. You don't realize how much your brains get zapped, you know? I had this fantasy that, that uh, Twitter and Facebook both decided to take a hiatus. They just shut them off. They, they, they shut them off for two weeks. They just said, yeah, we just decided, we're going to, we got to retool some shit. Whatever excuse, they're privately owned companies. They can do whatever they want, and they just shut down. And then all of a sudden, you're like, ah, you're sitting there fidgeting. You're like, what? I'm, uh, I'm all alone. I'm, I'm, I'm disconnected from the shitstorm. What do I got to do? Hey, who's that guy? Ah, uh, that's the guy that lives across the street. I wonder what, I wonder what he's doing. I think I need to talk to him in person. I gotta, I don't even, do I know how to do that anymore? Hey, hey man, you all right? You all right? Are we all right? What are you gonna do? How you feeling about it? Yeah, can I, you wanna have some coffee or something? What are you working on your, you need any help with that? What are you doing? You putting up a, what is that? Is that a, a, a t- you building a bunker? Uh, yeah, I can help out, I guess. Uh, maybe I should buy some stuff. Oh, man. Oh, it's good to see you. I, I kind of don't want to leave yet. I'll tell you, man, I, I just started reading this book, and it's fucking genius. Like, it, it's like it's been a long time to you know for me to just focus on a fucking novel and not drift. I mean, I, I realized when I started reading the book that I, I've always had that problem where I'll just read and my brain's doing another thing. But the eyes are reading, brain's not registering. And I'm like, oh shit, I got to go back three pages, because I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, I was winning something in my head. But, um, but I started reading the Sellout by Paul Beatty, and it, it happens to be one of the funniest, most genius pieces of satire I've ever fucking laid my hands on. It came. I, I, I'd love to talk to him, and uh, I, it's a hard book to even explain. It is so. Uh, 
lyrically and uh, uh, language-wise just so elaborate and so fucking dense and rich and hilarious it just fucks with language and it fucks with his it's it, i don't even know how to explain the book it sort of turns the black experience inside out it's just an ongoing firework display of language and imagery and it's fucking hilarious and poignant and resonant and i'm only halfway through and i can't fucking put it down but i'm just the only reason that i made time to read it because i usually read nonfiction. My buddy Sam Lipsight, you know, recommended it. It's elaborate. It is. It, there, it's no fucking holds barred. And it just turns it all inside out and dances. It's about a guy that uh, sort of through a series of events, uh, a black dude uh, through a series of events, you know, finds himself almost involuntarily uh, having a slave and and trying to bring back a urban farm plot where he grew up in in la out there in uh by i guess it's by south central I, I'm, it's it's in that area and he, i know i know it sounds crazy and it sounds wrong and it 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 certainly is crazy but it's certainly wrong but it's wrong for all the right reasons it is a it is a power punch of of literary genius what a fucking treat what a fucking treat to read and uh, fill your brain with something amazing that's provocative and to talk to people. Yeah. Turn it off. Turn it off. A lot of it's an illusion. I do also want to say I had a, a whirlwind cross-country trek. I, uh, I got back from Nashville, Tennessee this morning. I performed there last night at the TPAC Center at the James K. Polk Theater. And it was fucking spectacular. Great audience. Got about 900 people out. And uh, I just, I tell you, man, and uh, people who listen to this show know this, that, you know, over the years, you know, I've developed a a fairly uh, uh, loving relationship with the South, you know, having been sort of uh, narrow-minded about it in the past. You know, I started going down there, different parts, uh, and uh, just seeing that part of the country. And and I really, I really, I always have a a beautiful time down there. And I always have very nice people uh, come out. And and I always uh, love eating down there. I love the way the place looks. But, you know, going down there, this is the first trip I've made post-election i i was uh, i was nervous i'm nervous anyways and you know i'm flying on southwest not great but good you know if you do the early check-in thing and i had that one first class seat in southwest where you know by the door there's one seat that doesn't have a seat in front of it and somehow i managed even being a 36 to get that seat so i was like things are working out all right as we're flying in, man, and we're coming into Tennessee, you know, I'm looking out and I see the fall colors and I see all that dense, you know, southern land. And I'm like, hey, man, that's that doesn't look like Twitter. That looks like America. And I'm and I'm going to perform in a great old city. I stayed at a beautiful hotel right across from the venue. This kid opened for me, local guy who uh, my buddy Nate Bargazzi uh, recommended, Josh Wagner. And I'd never met him before, young dude, for a local. Nate picked me up at the airport, eased me into it, quelled my uh, my uh, nervousness, 
um uh, i love nate and we got to we got to talking and we went and had some lunch and then i just sort of locked in and i and i and i go i go to the venue my buddy mike binder uh who i've talked to on this show comedian from the old days but uh very busy movie and television director and novel writer he happened to be in town he's directing uh, episodes of the show nashville and he came down and i went over to the venue it was a big beautiful venue and uh, I didn't really know what to do or how to talk. You know, sometimes that happens to me. I, I know you doubt that. But, uh, you know, I usually have to speak my feelings and speak my mind and speak my fears and, and speak my, uh, my anger to, in a relative degree so it doesn't seem detached or strident or, or bizarre. But I do have feelings. And, you know, we, yeah, be, Americans are going to have feelings. And, and feelings are running hot. Obviously, you know, not everyone who voted for Trump is a racist, misogynist, nutbag, but but there are those within it. And I know we're all Americans and I get that. But there just comes a point where the even dudes I know who are Republican and voted party line or whatever, you're like, all right, so okay, I get I you did that. I understand. You know what our relationship is now. You know, it's troubling, but but you know, I've known you a long time. And then, you know, they're like, come on, man, we're, we're all Americans. This shit will sort itself out. Come on. We all love Tom Petty. We all love Tom Petty. We, you know, we like barbecue. You know, I mean, we, you know, you, every, you know I, I like a burrito occasionally. You, you do too, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, so let's just, let's just be Americans and, and work through this together. I'd, I'd like to believe that's possible. But what about that guy? What that dude? He he likes Tom Petty and burritos. Yeah, but he thinks all Muslims are terrorists, and uh, he doesn't think gay people should get married. I know, man, but I mean, you know, he's still yeah. He likes burritos. He likes burritos and Tom Petty. I listen to Tom Petty with that guy. Yeah, I know, but still, like it, it's it, you know, it seems to be a, a little wrong minded. Ah, come on, we're all Americans. He likes Tom Petty. Yeah, but he, he hates gay people. So, oh, you know, Tom Petty. Come on, rock and roll, bro. Well, I don't know if Tom Petty can bridge that gap, but I understand where you're coming from. And uh, it's going to be, it's gonna, there's going to be struggle. But performing in Nashville was just great. Uh, you, you know, I did a, about an hour and a half. Josh Wagner did great. I got up there and I talked about where I was at in that moment. And like something actually happened for me down there that I don't think has ever really happened. And I don't know why it happened. I guess it was a matter of time, but there was no, absolutely no distance between me and that audience and me and that space. Like there's, there's times in your life where whatever it is you do for work, however long you've worked hard to do it, if you get the opportunity to do it and you love your work, something just happens. And if you're lucky and you get into a zone where there's no self-consciousness, there's no moment of... Uh, Oh no, what's going to, you know, or, or, uh, am I doing okay? I, there's just no insecurity. There's no self-consciousness. You're just, you know, kind of purely in the moment and present and moving through something, uh, at your own time and at your own speed. And, and that happened there. Like I was on stage and I knew I was in front of 800 people. I knew they were listening. I knew they were laughing and, uh, I had no, there was no sort of self-consciousness. I was just in it. And I was in it all the way through, and it, and it was at my own pace, my own speed, and I was free with my thoughts and my and the jokes and everything. But it was just so 
whole. It was like, you know, it was almost like a moment, like I know Carnegie Hall happened, but I kind of had to fight my way into being present there. And maybe it was that experience. You know, maybe it was, you know, just the, the, the appreciation and immediacy of what's happening maybe has something to do with, with not being on Twitter and then realizing that that doesn't represent the best of people or all of people in any way. And you know, just dealing with the, the nice people at the hotel, nice people at the venue, beautiful people in the audience, seeing some comic friends down there, having some nice food. I didn't eat the hot chicken. I, I heeded my own concerns about uh, having a, 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 you know, just my intestines full of burning spices on a four-hour plane ride. You know, I, I'm glad I did not do that. But uh, again, people hanging out with people. Just got to look them right in the face. It's better if you're looking at someone right in the face. So my guest, Michael Shannon, as I said, was a little intimidated just by my projection of what he might be like. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a pretty intense, pretty, uh, pretty uh, great conversation. Uh, he's in a few new movies. Nocturnal Animals opens uh, this Wednesday, November 23rd. And he's also in the film Loving, uh, which is now playing. And this is, uh, this is me. And, uh, and Michael Shannon. Do you live in town? I live in New York City. So you're just here for a little while? Yeah, I got here on Wednesday. Yeah? Yeah. How, do you like coming out here? I do. You know, I lived out here for a couple of years. Uh, I came out here in 99. Yeah? I was here for a couple of years, so I... I have some nostalgia for it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 99. You've been at it a long time. Yeah, I, I <laughs> guess you... I got cranking about 25 years ago, yeah. It it's started. wild to think about that, isn't it? it? It is, although, you know, it seems like a short period of time considering uh, in, in comparison to some of the other actors that I admire, you know. Well, you'll Look be at up somebody there. Like, like I saw Sir Ben Kingsley last night. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Where at? The Governor's Awards. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're, uh, they were giving uh, honorary lifetime awards to people. Jackie Chan. Oh, was yeah. There. He yeah. Got an award. Um, and Ben got one, too? Ben was presenting. Had you met him before? Ben, no. I just saw, I just saw him give a little the, give the speech. I didn't get to actually meet him. I just saw him in something. Oh, I rewatched The Sopranos. Oh, is he And he that? had that one part as himself when... when uh, Imperioli goes to L.A. to oh. meet with the uh, to talk to Ben Kingsley's agent. Oh wow! Yeah, and he, he just plays himself a, a heightened version. Obviously, I don't right. think he's that much of an asshole. I didn't really watch The Sopranos, which is kind of, I guess, I should be embarrassed about because I worked with all those guys on Boardwalk, but I I never. Why not? Seen it. I don't know. I d- I don't. I very rarely watch TV. Uh huh. Although one of my favorite shows was Dr. Katz, which you were Yeah, you were on. I did a couple episodes of those. Yeah, that's... Squiggle, there's my Dr. Katz picture right up there. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm actually in awe. <laughs> How old were you, though? You must have been like a kid. Well, I didn't watch them when they were airing. Oh. I have them all on DVD. Oh, you just like it? Yeah, well, there was a period of me and my, my girlfriend, we would watch it pretty much every night before we went to bed really we'd watch a couple episodes yeah yeah he's got a great timing jonathan 
Yeah, and that H. John Benjamin. Oh, he's Holy funny, man. Smoke. So funny. Yeah. Still really funny. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a new, yeah, some new show. But he's always got something going on. He's, yeah. a, he's hilarious. He's yeah. a hilarious guy. And you you don't but you don't do a lot of comedies, do you? I mean well, like I tend to find uh, comedic uh, elements in 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 things that I do uh, that may be considered dramatic. But, well, I saw uh, Elvis and uh, Nixon. There's an example, I guess. Yeah. That um, that I think that's definitely a comedy. Yeah, it's kind of all over the place. I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of trying to recreate one of the stranger events in United States history, I would say. I thought it was pretty amazing. I, You know, I thought that, you you know, to take on Elvis is no easy feat. Oh, it's horrifying. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think it was a good idea. It was um, this producer, Holly, yeah. Holly Wierzma, I had worked with her on Bug. Uh-huh. And she, every once in a while, she'd say, you know, you should really play Elvis. And uh, her husband at the time, Cassian, uh, Cassian's brother, Carrie, Elway's actor, he was... Uh, I know who that guy yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Princess was, Bride? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He was writing this script about Elvis and Nixon. He's sitting, and Holly kept saying, you got to do it, you got to do it. And I was like, Ugh. Yeah. I, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable because I, I, I didn't really know a lot about Elvis. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah, she talked me into it. I'm, I'm really glad I did it. Why? Uh, because Elvis is a fascinating person, like beyond just the you know icon, uh-huh. cult- cultural icon he is, and um, you know in the movie you, you see his relationship with a fellow Jerry Schilling, who yeah. was one of his best friends. Um, that's a real relationship. That's real. Yeah. yeah. And Jerry, I met Jerry and spent a lot of time with Jerry, and Jerry and I went to Memphis, and he showed me all the things you would want to see if uh, you yeah. were playing Elvis. Uh-huh. And, and Jerry kind of gave me his blessing and and said he was very interested to see what I was going to do. He believed that I would maybe go beyond the surface, uh-huh. uh, the caricature of it. Because, you know, he, he, he has a lot of love for his friend. He misses his friend, and he, and he thinks his friend Elvis is kind of a misunderstood human being oh yeah uh, yeah in what way specifically well you know he says elvis died of a broken heart you know uh-huh. he uh elvis was a very serious artist he wanted he really loved acting and he wanted to be um taken more seriously as an actor he he got caught up in a lot of contracts and things he wound up doing things that other people wanted him to yeah. do and uh, if he was left to his own devices, he might have pursued some different, you know, paths. Right. Yeah. He was a very spiritual person. Yeah. I would have never guessed in a million years, but, you know, um, his favorite book was Siddhartha, which I had actually never read, but because I found that piece of information, I said, well, I guess I should read Siddhartha. I never read it. Yeah. How I, was it? It's beautiful. But I, uh, you know, half the time as I was reading, I just imagined Elvis like sitting in a chair reading his book, and <laughs> and it kind of blew my mind. But you know, he was always looking for peace. Yeah, he, he wanted peace, and um, you know, Jerry said even though he was one of Elvis's best friends, he could only understand Elvis up to a certain point because it was a very lonely. Elvis is a very lonely thing to be. Yeah. There's nobody else that really can comprehend 
what it was. So anyway, he said, I, I think you might be able to pull it off. And so. how, how close were the the events? Because I watched it on the plane. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I like Elvis like everybody else. But both you and Kevin Spacey somehow were able to, you know, transcend caricature. Yeah. And, and get into the humanity of these guys. I mean, you know, one thing you don't want to do, having not any real memory of either of them. Because right. I'm 53 and, I, you know, I was a kid. But, you know, we've been taught that you, you, you know, you're not supposed to look at Nixon as a human being. <laughs> and then and then you start to think, like, well, how, I don't never I never even thought about the humanity of Elvis. Right. So, and you both were able to do that in a fairly warm and comedic way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's fascinating because it's a real event. It really happened. And yet the conversation that between Elvis and Nixon when they were alone in that room, nobody knows what they talked about. So that's all fictionalized. Yeah, there's no document of that. There's no recording of that. Uh -huh. um, How long did it go on for? You know, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't too lengthy. I yeah. mean, it, it was a strange thing for the president to do during office hours. Right. So it couldn't be like uh, an all day long thing. But uh, it was I mean, probably a little bit longer than it is in the movie. Yeah. But um, it's just a really unusual story. I, it's I'm very glad funny. I did it. Yeah, it was good. And Spacey, I thought, acted the shit out of that thing. Yeah, he was really impressive, particularly because, you know, he he did his whole part in five days uh-huh and we started with the oval we started basically with the end yeah with the the meeting between yeah. us which is it's kind of crazy sometimes how you have to do that how yeah. you at the first day of shooting you're jumping into the climatic scene of the movie you're like well i don't even know what i'm doing yet and here we are but uh he was so prepared and um and really gracious and easy to work with. I was nervous, you know. I had never worked with him, but... Uh, Were you a fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. He's a good he's, actor. Yeah, he's been around. He's been killing it for a long time now. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so where, now, where did you where'd you grow up? I was born in Lexington, Kentucky. And Horse I, country. Sort of, kind of, yeah. yeah. On the outskirts of Lexington yeah. are a lot of beautiful horse farms. And of course, we have the Keeneland racetrack, which I prefer to Churchill Downs. Yeah, secretly. Well, not secretly, no. But did you, um, <laughs> did you go there a lot? We would go there sometimes. They had a real good uh, breakfast you could get there, so oh, yeah. you go on the weekends and uh, the whole family get your biscuits and your eggs, and then yeah. you go watch a couple of races. Yeah, I mean, my mom. It would be with like my mom and maybe some of my younger siblings um how many you got well with my mom um she had me and then she had two girls and a boy after me uh with some other dude uh not not my father yeah this, this guy uh big mike yeah. is what we call because <laughs> i was little mike i guess and then uh with big, my, mike. big mike sounds, yeah. sounds a little ominous was he an all right guy <sighs> jeez louise <laughs> we weren't we weren't the best of buddies, but uh, I sure do love those kids, uh, yeah. so it wasn't all bad, I guess. And then uh, and my dad had two daughters before he met my mom. Oh, so, wow. So I guess I have four sisters and a brother, yeah. And, you, and your dad lived somewhere else? Well, my, yeah, when I was very young, my dad moved uh, to Chicago, which is how I eventually wound up in Chicago. Great city. 
Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I, uh, it certainly was a great city to start acting in. It, so you would go back and forth. Yeah, you know, like summer break, Christmas break, all that kind of thing. Yeah, and then uh, when I started high school, I actually went up to live with my dad for couple of years and then um that, that was a resolution to the big mike problem yeah <laughs> yeah well actually big mike had uh he had resolved himself by that point that and uh, unfortunately oh really made things even more hinky but uh yeah i went up and lived with my dad and then i just started um going down into the city and auditioning for plays and stuff and what'd your what'd your old man do my father was a cpa yeah. Uh, and a professor. Yeah. He had a PhD in finance. And he taught at DePaul University for, I think, almost 30 years. Is that in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah? So were you on campus a lot? Well, my dad really wanted me to go to DePaul because, you know, he was tenured and he all his kids could go there for free. And, yeah. And they have a really great theater school there. It's kind of renowned. So, um, but by that point, I had already started doing theater in the city and I didn't understand why I would go to college if I was already doing what I wanted to be doing and you were learning on your own terms yeah yeah definitely I mean it was this was the early 90s and it was a great time in the city there were so many talented people Steppenwolf company I I worked with them a little bit but this was kind of um there was because Steppenwolf really created the Chicago theater scene to a large degree, um, and that, her, that had already been going for a while. Yeah, but they, yeah, they had been going for a while, and then you know, back in the early '90s, I mean, there were like, like, seemed like 200 companies in Chicago. Really? Just, yeah. How but, old were you? Like 20? I did my first play in uh, Chicago when I was 16. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. In, in what what theater? Well, it was actually on the outskirts. It yeah. was in the Burbs. Yeah. It's a place called uh, Illinois Theater Center, uh-huh. appropriately. And um, and you just went out for it and got cast? Yeah. As, in what show? It's a really amazing play, actually. It's called Winter Set uh, by a writer, Maxwell Anderson. He wrote uh, Key Largo as well. The movie or the play? The uh, play, oh, yeah. yeah. Movie. And, he, um, he an old guy yeah. <laughs> wrote the movie. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think the play is the source material for the movie that they made. So he was an old dude? Yeah, this was about, uh, you know, the Italian anarchist Sacco and Vanzetti? Yes. So th- what this play is, is imagining one of their sons trying to get justice after his father's been executed. He's kind of, now he's an orphan. and Yeah. He's Set in like, the, what, the 30s or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. it's written in blank verse and oh it's, really yeah it's really unusual it's funny because i actually i found a copy of it recently i was thumbing through it seeing if i could remember any of it yeah it's been such a long time and ago. it wasn't it wasn't coming back to me <laughs> it was, it was like, I, I actually knew these lines once upon a time how did it read to you it's you know it's very unique it's it's not like anything else you've read you know um some people should do it so I did that play and then I did a play a little bit closer to the city and um what was that one 
It was two one acts by Howard Corder, who ironically wound up being one of the main writers on Boardwalk Empire. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was kind of wild to. Was he involved in the production? No, no, no. This this was a little tiny theater he yeah. would have never heard of. But yeah, these two plays called Fun and Nobody. And the first play, Fun, is about these two kids who did school one day and they get in all kinds of trouble. And uh, then the second play, Nobody, is about the, the, the father of one of the kids who loses his job and kind of yeah. goes, goes off the rails. And um, my father was played by a fellow named Tracy Letts, oh, who yeah. uh, has become one of the more significant people in my life, at least professionally. Um, but he was like the bee's knees at the time in Chicago. It was like Tracy Letts, the best actor, and he was playing my dad, even mm-hmm. though he was only nine—he's only nine years older than me. But, and that was uh, a that, so that was sort of a big theater break in a way. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and meeting him, you know, obviously led to some because he started writing and he wrote a couple of plays that I did that Bug kind of changed my life. Yeah, Bug and Killer Joe. Yeah. Oh yeah, both of those. Yeah, I yeah. saw both of those. Oh really? Not not on on in the theater, but yeah. in the films. I oh, you saw the films. Well, yeah. I talked to Friedkin in here. Oh, did you? For a couple hours, Billy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Billy. Oh man, I haven't He's seen him something. in a while. Yeah. You should call him. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I don't even know if I have his number, but uh, yeah, in Killer Joe, I. I originated the part that Emil Hirsch plays in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that part 400 times. Really? So it had it all in Chicago? Well, it started in Chicago in this little theater, the same theater we did Fun and Nobody in. It started there, and it was a little tiny theater. You couldn't get more than 40 people in there. Uh, so we wound up doing it for like eight months, doing the play there. And then, um, and then we went to the Edinburgh Festival in Scotland yeah. and then we wound up doing it in London and then uh, and then eventually wound up doing it in uh, New York and how old were you then? when I did it in New York? It, well just like when that started oh when that like started 20? I think I think when Killer Joe opened I was 19 maybe and like were you, so you just living in Chicago and you, and you kind of you, you had uh, some great good breaks and you were delivering you know, yeah. as an actor. Yeah. What was the life like though? Were you were you a tormented dude? <laughs> were you like banging your head against the wall? What model of because uh, these these are dense plays. You seem like a a, a thoughtful guy. Yeah. So I have to say for you have to think for this stuff to resonate with you. You know you you have to have a certain amount of uh, of darkness in your own soul. Oh yeah. Yeah, I had some ammo back then, you know, I was, you know, I had gone through a lot first, the first, you know, 18 years of my life, so I had um, some stuff to get off my chest, I guess, but... um, And it worked? Well, nothing ever really works. (laughs) There's no no solution, (laughs) but... uh, but you got good. Yeah. That's yeah. one thing. Yeah, that helps. You owned the craft, at least. Yeah. And I got to the point where people would pay me to do it, which yeah. is a big big hurdle. Yeah. yeah. So do you stay in touch with Let's? Oh, yeah. We were just... Um, we had a lovely little texting conversation uh, the other morning. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're hardly ever in the same place yeah. at the same time. But, uh, yeah, he's one of my, my best friends, you know. And was uh, now it, he was a Steppenwolf guy, right? 
He's definitely very much a Steppenwolf guy right now. He's uh yeah, he's joined the company and and they they do his plays and um they're doing one of his plays this season, I think a, a brand new play of his. But he's also, you know, he's worked with us a lot of other people too oh he's acting now too he's i think i saw him in that new show divorce on yeah HBO. he's in divorce he's, he's great he's been in a lot of great movies yep. this last season too uh wiener dog christine and indignation yeah, which is yeah. cool because he when i first came out to la he was living here and he he couldn't get arrested he was like what do i and it was hard for him because he was in Chicago. He's kind of a, a legend for his yeah. stage work. And but that's the thing about LA is you can you can be great and come out here and just kind of fly into the window. You it's know? like yeah, Barton Fink. Yeah, it's been exactly. going on for every every yeah. for every for years. Yeah, right. Like in Chicago, though, were you were you going to theater? I mean, were you going? Oh yeah. I mean, it was my life. I see theater, do theater. I do it anywhere. See it anywhere. I mean, I started a little theater company um did plays in the you know basements of coffee houses and you know oh yeah anywhere you could put some folding chairs and a couple of clamp lights you know and i wasn't like um terribly ambitious about it i wasn't i didn't have uh an agenda to kind of become a star or anything i just yeah. just loved doing it you know being in it yeah it was like it, it, film wasn't really the interest it was i mean i loved movies too i i would go see movies all the time yeah um we have some r really beautiful old theater in chicago the music box theater yeah I would go there all the time but um but it didn't buy i wasn't pining to like you know, a, a, a lot of my friends, are lo, like I used Tracy as an yeah. example just now, uh, would would say, oh, "I got to try L.A. I got to try and make some money at this stuff." You know, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. And and uh, and then they would come out here and get beat up, struggle. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not doing that. I'm I'm I, I know I'm not rich, but I'm I'm having a pretty good time here. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and what do you think? Like there, the vitality of it, you, you know, because like it, it seems to me that you're innately a theater actor, you yeah. know, right? That's where your heart is. Yeah, I love the theater and the the intensity of that, like the connection of that. I, I guess is something that is not like anything else. Can be, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I just finished doing last year, uh, long day's journey in the night. Oh my god, uh, on Broadway, yeah. With Jessica Lange, Gabriel Byrne. How was that? It was, I mean, it's heaven, you know, and it's and it's hard as shit. I mean, you just like, you know, you go in for those Saturdays where you got two shows. You know, it's a four-hour play about a family that's basically falling to pieces, and um, and you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through it, but you get out on stage with those people and and that dialogue and. It's just the biggest rush in the world. Yeah, I, that was sort of like uh, Tracy's play. What was it? August. What? August Osage County. Yeah. I saw that on Broadway, and I, I I thought that thing was devastating and and hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> he's very good at devastating and hilarious. Yeah, Tracy's got a. I mean, like for example, when you asked me earlier about comedy, yeah, there's there's a lot of comedy in what no Tracy doubt. writes. Yeah, but it's you you know, I don't tend to do like straight up comedy where there's nothing else involved uh I, 
I honestly I like it all to have a little bit of everything. Yeah. It's, to me, it's like be like going to a salad bar and just getting lettuce. Right. I mean, you just want to yeah, yeah. get... You want some depth, a little yeah. range? Yeah, yeah. Well, you did what? You worked with my friend Bob Odenkirk on that movie. Oh, yeah, Let's Go to Prison. Yeah. yeah. That was a hoot. That's a that's a pretty silly movie. That was a very silly movie. I mean, and I had to... I There's no way I could take that seriously at all. I was right. playing a skinhead, so <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't anxious to get into... Right. To the psychology of that, just <laughs> yeah. show up and be silly. Yeah, that's a that's a rough psychology. Yeah. So when you came out here, you know, because my producer brought it to my attention that you know you had that there was a, you had one little scene in Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. and that was they're like, making a musical of Groundhog Day. I just saw this in the New York Times, a full page ad. Yeah, for Groundhog Day the musical. I was like, oh, I wonder if my part will be in there. <laughs> Will he get a little song? Have you ever yeah. done musicals? Well, when I was in high school, auditioning for stuff, yeah. uh, I would get little, like, I'd be in the ensemble. You know, right. Kind of doing the lame dance moves in the background. Or, something. Uh-huh. or sometimes I would play in the pit, because I'm a musician, too, so I'd play the bass. and the Your bass and, player? Yeah. At the time, yeah, I was, yeah, I was playing bass there, so... But since I left school, I haven't done any musicals, no. No? How about music? Well, I have a band yeah. uh, that, I, I, unfortunately, lately, I haven't been really able to put much into, but uh, but we exist. Um, you play bass? No, in the band, I, uh, I sing and kind of haphazardly uh, strum a guitar. We made a CD... Um, a while ago and you can find it on the internet I what's think. it called well the band's called corporal mm-hmm. and the cd the album's kind of by default it's called glory just because there's a sign that says glory on the cover but <laughs> i never technically called it that but that's i guess what it's called <laughs> yeah so when you work with like uh when you do one scene because i like you know i'm looking at all the films you've been in, you definitely had the opportunity to work with some pretty amazing directors. Oh yeah, and and I, I imagine that that has a profound influence on on how you evolve as an actor on some level. No, yeah, I mean it'd be hard to put it into words, right? Um, because so much of uh, what I do is like an impulse and instinct, and it's a lot of subconscious work. You know, it's um, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't have many conversations about like you know acting theory or anything, but sometimes out of choice or you just don't like to talk about yeah, it. Well, I, I don't. I don't think anybody likes to talk about it. Well, no, that's not true. There are some people that like. To well, talk that, about what, it. what yeah. I realize about talking to actors because I have started to talk about the, the actual process is that look, you know, either you can do it or you can't at the baseline. It's kind of yeah, that's kind of the way it is. And you're going to put together whatever tools you have. You know, either on your own, or you're going to get you know pounded with certain techniques that that either stick or they don't, or they become part of your unconscious process. Right. But anybody who sort of thinks they have a way, they don't have a way. No. <laughs> no, I think somebody I heard recently some like Anthony Hopkins kind of yeah. broke it down that way. He said people have been asking me my whole life, you know, what's your technique? What's your technique? He's like, I can't explain my technique to you. I don't, he's like, I think about it. I mean, you think, you know, and it sounds kind of cliche, but it really is like 
kids playing. I mean, you go in and you put on your your costume and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I'm going to be this person today. And yeah. What's what's this person doing today? What are they What are they trying to accomplish? And then yeah. you go out and you try to accomplish it. And I think you know a lot of times you're just drawing on your imagination and all the experiences that you've had over the years as a human and, and, and the observations you made of other people and and it just kind of comes out. You know, it's like trying to explain how you play ski ball. Yeah. I don't know, you roll the ball up the ramp and you hope it goes in the hundred. <laughs> but also when you're, I, I have to assume that having done all that kind of basement theater and bigger theater and then being on stage you know, on Broadway and O'Neill shows that that the engagement, you know, once you're locked in, yeah, that the emotional engagement, the ability to do that. Well, yeah, that that kind of uh, communion with other people, yeah, it's fascinating because at the end of the day, you don't necessarily know the people you're working with super well. Uh, like we didn't spend a lot of time together socially during Long Day's Journey and Night, um, yeah, and yet you're able to get to such an intimate place and with a play like that i mean that material is full of um of longing and despair and 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 the despair of people that desperately love one another but can't help but harm one another and that's such a universal thing i mean it's not easy to do but it's not complicated you, you know if and you just i just find myself always saying well how does this relate to my experience, my life, and I can draw the parallels and then and then uh, jump into it. You know? Yeah, and even like even in the new movie, the uh, the nocturnal animals, there's like that first scene with you. There was some very specific choice to question that guy's masculinity. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and yeah. It, and it was a really you know uh, a very startling turn. Yeah, you're right out of the gate. You're like, why 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 would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, it's really mean because I think at that point everybody's feeling pretty sorry for Jake. I mean, yeah. he's, Jake's character's gone Jake through Jake Gyllenhaal, some, yeah. yeah he's, Tony's gone through some pretty uh, gruesome stuff there, so he kind of just needs a hug. Yeah. And then, and then I show up and I'm like, it doesn't sound like you handled this very well. <laughs> so... that's again that's comedy right that's to me that's funny like i mean it's also disturbing and gruesome but it's there's comedy in that oh definitely that that movie is definitely not a comedy right but but there is definitely that moment yeah yeah it's a very intertwined uh emotionally compelling thriller yeah in a way i get very i get very anxious watching movies like that but but this one you know because of the two tiers the two different narratives going on it was good you know when he started dropping into her life and it was good man and you were great oh thanks mark yeah i I was it must be fun to play a texan (laughs) yeah bobby's just i just love the guy i mean um you know i'm a big fan of like jim thompson novels and things like that yep to me he's just he's out of that world you know and uh and I just loved how the combination of his innate sort of nihilism, but the fact that he couldn't help but get drawn into to Tony's dilemma and try and help him and care about him and 
and do something to help him feel better, even though ultimately it's probably not going to make him feel better, but at least, you know, he tried. And it's compounded by, you know, he's got a chronic, you know, he's dying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is, yeah, that is like Jim Thompson character. Yeah, yeah. These characters that you do, like I've seen, like The Iceman is one of those movies where you're like, that you played a real killer, yeah. a real dude. Yeah. But we, he was dead by the time he made the movie, or he wasn't he? Yeah, I know. I never, I never got to meet him. I, I, I and from what I heard, I probably wouldn't have been brave enough to <laughs> sit in a room alone with. I heard he was very um, a hard person to be alone with uh-huh. in, a, in a room. But I did meet his kids, which is really interesting. They came to the premiere. What's his uh, name? Richard Kuklinski. Kuklinski, yeah. yeah, Richard Kuklinski. Savage. Yeah. Yeah, but this was the thing and the point I was going to make is that, you know, and really what drew me to that story in the first place is that despite um, his um, pathology, which was obviously very dark, he still longed to have um, a family and he was trying he, he was trying to have love in his life. Like he wanted he he wanted to have a, a good life and he wanted to have a family and he wanted to be loved and to love other people and yet do this horrible stuff at he was the same a contract time. killer right yeah, yeah contract killer and and you can see that like when his kids are watching the movie and they're there and they come up to me and they're like yeah yeah you know good Good job. You know, it's funny. It's like you know, that's my dad. That was my dad. You got it. And I, and I loved him. You yeah. know, and they loved him, and yeah. he loved them. And it's it's that's if that component hadn't been in the story, I don't think I would have been interested in doing the movie. Because then he would have been. Uh, it just would have been one dimensional, irredeemable. I mean, yeah. Well, and we have so many movies of people just running around killing people. It's not. I don't think it's something we're missing from our culture necessarily. <laughs> People killing each other? Yeah. Or in movies, movies about yeah. both. In movies or real life. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to remember. I, I saw Mud. Mud was at the Matthew McConaughey thing. Yes, with the two little boys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just love working with Jeff. I mean, I've he's made five films and I've been in all of them. So Jeff Nichols? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like my brother, you know. So. What, what what makes it uh, what 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 is it about the uh, the relationship that that makes it great as an actor to work with a director like that? You know, we're both from the South yeah. originally, and I think we have similar tastes and similar thought patterns, concerns about you know the world. Like for me, take shelter is the most meaningful kind of significant piece I've done. And, and, um, the fact that Jeff wrote it, Jeff was able to put down on paper, basically the summation of all my deepest anxieties and, and that I was able to get the opportunity to make that into a movie. Uh, it's just a very, uh, it's startling when you have that much synchronicity with with somebody. And do you, you think it, it's relative to you guys being from the South? You know, that's part of it. Part of it's just dumb luck. You yeah. know, I mean, um, I mean, Jeff's. 
you know, I, he's got qualities that I, I think anyone would admire. Uh, he's a really hard worker. He's really intelligent. He's uh, he's very uh, he is, he stands by his convictions. Uh, he's not afraid to walk into any room anywhere and say what he wants and how he plans to go about getting it. And uh, but he's also very. Uh, kind uh he's not a, a bully or anything and um i don't know and he's, that and, and that movie's about doom well for me take shelters about how do you function in this world particularly if you have people that you care about particularly children you know the the, the storm that's coming is like a it's a metaphor it's you know there's always a storm some sort of storm coming there's right. something horrifying happening that you're not sure you're going to be able to protect your children from i mean for example right now this week yeah. you know i have two little girls and i can't stop thinking about what the world's going to be like for them yeah and and you don't have you don't i mean i hate to sound like i'm giving up but it seems like you don't have any control over it so what do you do you know do you are you able to just enjoy your life anyway? Is it, you know, living in the moment or whatever? Or do you, how do you not get crushed by this sense that, that the world's just out of control? Right. And how do you? Oh, well, I just go pretend to be other people and <laughs> do imaginary things. Um, I don't know. And I, 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 I do believe a lot, a lot of it is just taking each day as it comes and realizing that the, the time that you have right then there in the moment is, 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 is special. But, and you also have to, you have to try and if you, if you really believe that something's wrong, you have to try and do something about it. Yeah. Which I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you know you said that that movie is is you know comes out of uh, this relationship of a couple of guys from a, a part of the country that that gets you know hung out to dry as being this you know difficult place yeah. for for a lot of the reasons that I think you know we're all feeling now. Yeah. Now, w was that part of your experience? Well, yeah. I mean, we shot the movie. In in and around uh, Grafton, Ohio, uh -huh. which is not, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain it's the only movie that's ever been made in Grafton, Ohio. Um, it's not like the, the Hollywood of the Midwest or something. Right. And, um, yeah, I stayed, uh, when we were shooting the movie, I was staying downtown, which is basically like a block-long strip, uh, and I was staying in, like... <laughs> an abandoned building um uh and there was definitely a sense of like it's hard to live here it's not easy to live yeah. here and i have so much it's so frustrating because i really understand how people feel i understand that they're the, 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 it's hard to have hope right now and 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 people feel like they've been screwed over and but at a certain point, um, you just have to take responsibility for yourself and realize that someone else isn't going to fix all your problems. But 
but yeah, I th- I think that's um the the people they're they're good people, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just a confusing time yeah. in our country because because the solution is not in arm's reach. It seems right. like it's not. And right. it's not what just happened. That's not going to solve anything. Yeah. So what is going to fix it? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing is that like even like when I travel, like I travel all over the place, you know, and for years the the South was stigmatized in my mind. Right. You know, for whatever historical reasons. But that has nothing to do necessarily with individual people you know so you get to this thing where you know i find myself you know i love the country down there i've I've met nothing but good people yeah you know a you know i don't know them intimately or personally or or what lurks in their hearts or 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 how they're going to act out of their own fear and frustration or maybe i didn't meet those people maybe i met a lot of like-minded people but i certainly have been able as i've gotten older to to realize that you know the country is made up of people and all those people have their own you know little lives and problems but by and large you know you can meet them somewhere in the middle right you know and it becomes very you know frustrating when you see masses guided one way or the other that you know people are are their their ability to just sort of like you know at least appreciate that we all share something becomes shattered yeah well it's just not there's a weird thing happening right now with how people are understanding the world and kind of creating their own identity you know because it used to be that these places are you know you can say the south or the midwest or whatever yeah. that it would be fairly isolated right and, and um but there's this weird combination of uh being isolated and yet being inundated through technology by like everything that's happening yeah. in the world and this false sense of like, oh, I understand right. because I'm getting all this information all the time. I get it on my internet and my TV. I know exactly what's going on. Right. Even though I am very isolated from all of it. Um, and then that information is dubious. Yeah, it's false. And yeah, so it's, 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 um, I almost wish that we could just go back to when that wasn't so readily available all the time and and because i don't i'm not necessarily sure that it's helping um it's a false sense of community that is you know very easily the momentum of it is just brutal yeah yeah it's uh i mean you can see i mean um you know the campaign was run by a guy who's a media you know right as a media company right and he knows how to work people how to work it you know yeah yeah but you know, as a, as a, a creative person now, I mean, that's you know, all this stuff begins to inform your your, your you know how you're going to do your work, and we got it. We have to assume that the work we do is provocative, yeah. And that you know, maybe you know, maybe it'll level out and 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 do like that's the amazing thing about theater is that you can tangibly feel how it touches humanity. Yeah. You know, immediately the emotional yeah. uh, dynamic between a performer and and the audience is like you feel it hit. Yeah. You know. It's uh yeah it's like when you did uh you've you've done stand up and stuff yeah, right? yeah. so you you get that too right I mean well yeah uh, no absolutely and you know depending on how vulnerable you want to be yeah. you know you know if you're in a character it, you, I, I I imagine it doesn't necessarily make it any safer right. but that's the courage of it right I'm gonna put myself out there because you know I gotta own that right right 
Yeah, but it can be, you know, for me, I always find it helpful to focus less on whether I think I'm doing a good job or not, or like the glory of my own whatever, and just focus more on the experience that all the people are having together. Right, right, yeah. Like it's, I don't need people to like stand up and shout my name afterwards, but (laughs) I, I do want people to to get wrapped up in it sure. because it's uh you know particularly something like long days journey in the night is uh very worthwhile you know? yeah and when you say like my question lately because i've been i've been doing a little acting is just that there, there is something about you know because you're you know michael shannon you're your own guy and you know you're going to bring to it whatever it is but this this text this story this play has existed for decades yeah you know it, it is what it is well, the Giants have, I mean, you're walking in the footsteps of the Giants when you play that part. Jamie in Long Day's Journey and I is Jason Robards. The last person to have done it on Broadway was Philip Seymour Hoffman. So it's like, yeah, you better bring your... Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you have to, but also that your relationship with that text, I mean, there, you know, I, I guess what, what I'm trying to say is, as an actor is that it's very important to, to remember that, you know, that's the story. Yeah. Right, you, exactly. you know, like whatever your worries are about, you know, you know uh, who you are as an actor, or whatever, right. you know, there, there, there it is. Right, you know, I'm, you know, they, it's all it's laid out for you, and that that's what you're telling. Yeah, and how how much can you land that with the audience? Right, like, you, ideally, you know, one of the frustrating things about acting, or, or you could consider it frustrating if if you want, but yeah. uh, is that ideally it's invisible. You're not seeing it right so there's other things i can think of that are kind of like that but you know you're really you want to be i refer like you're an aperture between the story what you're talking about and the audience right and how much can you get out of the way and that doesn't mean not doing anything right it's very very difficult but make it fluid yeah it's a mysterious thing did you ever work with uh phil hoffman he directed me in a play oh really and he was a wonderful director and a, he, a wonderful person and, and very tough, you know, very, he never, never satisfied always. You can go deeper, you can go deeper. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. Which but place? that's what he did yeah. to himself, you yeah. know, so he expected it of other people. Um, it was a play called The Little Flower of East Orange by a writer named Stephen Adley Gerges. He just had a play called between Riverside and Crazy that was kind of a big deal in New York and also uh, he wrote the mother with the hat uh, in the hat uh, yeah. with the hat uh, that was also on Broadway he's he's. this is all part of a theater company uh, Labyrinth Theater Company in New York um, that was his th- yeah, th- that Phil, Phil yeah. was artistic yeah. one, of, one of the artistic directors of and um, and Stephen was kind of like the resident one of the resident writers for yeah. the company. So, yeah, I did that at the public theater. Uh, Ellen Burstyn played my mom. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. It was intense. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then also, uh, Phil and I are both in the movie uh, uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, the last film that Sidney Lumet made. Oh, yeah, I saw that um, We didn't really have much to do together he basically just shot me yeah he just comes and blows me away (laughs) but uh i most of my stuff was with ethan hawk i had him in here he's a Mm. thoughtful guy he really is and such uh 
got like mercury in him or something. Yeah. He's just so <laughs> lit up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and passionate. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you always hear about acting or when people are t talking about film acting, teaching film acting, is like one of the main things you got to do is you just got to relax. Right. You got to relax and stop like freaking out, you know, unless you're doing a scene where you're losing your shit. But, uh, you know, it's about being relaxed and, and, and having a certain amount of confidence, not arrogance, but it's like, I, I can do this. Right. It's, it's, the world isn't going to end. I will, I will say these lines and yeah. everything will be okay. And we'll do it again yeah. and again and yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From all different angles. Yeah. I, my, I have a problem with like modulating my voice because I'm always yelling. But I, mm -hmm. I've decided that I do that in real life too. Yeah. That my natural voice is like, how, how's it going? Yeah, yeah. Because when you're on a soundstage or you're in a studio, you're like, you feel like you got to fill the room. Exactly. You, you seem to like, yeah, I guess that's another decision you got to make. It's like, I can just talk like a person. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, sometimes even quieter than that. I mean, sometimes there'd be shooting a scene, somebody would be five feet away from you and you can barely hear what they're saying but it sounds great on their you know lav right. lavalier yeah, mic yeah you're, you're you know? mic'd up yeah yeah but, um i used to have that problem i was a very loud people were always telling me it's like i can hear you i can hear you you know <laughs> yeah but then it was funny when you start doing stage then everyone's like your diction's terrible i can't understand what you're saying and then so then i had to work on that and now i think i've found the the middle road the middle road yeah so what was it on um, Boardwalk Empire? How was um, how was it to work in a period piece for that long? It must have been kind of brain bending after a while. Well, you know, it was interesting just because I never really spent that much time there. You know, um, outside of Steve, and even Steve towards the end, uh, Nucky was not uh, 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 around every day. Um, but you know, like it would take six months to shoot uh, a season of boardwalk and, yeah and and you'd be there maybe 20 25 days over right. a six month period and it feels like you're a big part of the show you know uh because of the storytelling or whatever but you're just it's not your everyday thing so in a way it's what's tricky about it is you're just popping in every once in a while and popping back into that world you know um the design on that show was so amazing. That always helps. Yeah, it just got to the point where it was kind of like he was just like an old buddy of mine. It was like, oh, I'm going to go see Van Alden today. <laughs> and then um, at the end of the day, I said, well, see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, bye. <laughs> uh, but it, it did not dominate my my life, really. How did you manage to come out of Chicago and not, um, like, I, were you ever like a, a, a manic yelling actor? <laughs> Oh yeah, sure. I mean, th th yeah, that was part of the the vibe sometimes yeah. around there. But yeah. um, yeah, my first review I ever got when I was doing that play Winterset, uh, yeah. the critic was like, "This guy thinks acting's waving his arms around and rubbing his forehead like uh, he's just." Oh god! And it was a guy, great critic uh, Richard Christensen at the Tribune. Uh, but then he came and saw the next one, and he said, "Well." Technically, this guy's not so hot, but he's got something going on. Right? I, I have to concede there's something interesting about him. He's not waving his arms around in this one. Yeah, I, yeah, I just had to get some duct tape and tape him down. But Tracy, like as a director, because that stuff's very engaged stuff. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I imagine he directed you a few times, right? Tracy? Yeah. Well, he I, I would either work with him as an actor or a writer. He would never, never actually direct. Um, yeah. When we did Killer Joe, it was a director named Wilson Milam. And when we did Bug, uh, well, Wilson directed first production of Bug and then uh, Dexter Bullard. Uh, Dexter Bullard, who directed Fun and Nobody, the play that I met uh, Tracy on. Those are very intense. I mean, they're very like you know paced, man. Oh yeah, and, and like you know, it's just the 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 sort of psychological movement, and then the actual physical movement, the yeah, emotional yeah, yeah. movement. It's like boom, like yeah, you know, like just everything's blowing up all the time. And we would do the like I said, we would, we would do these shows in very small theaters where um, there was no room for the audience to escape uh, from it, um, and we would do them. As um, we really wanted it to seem voyeuristic, like you know, what what you were getting the chance to see had nothing to do with you, and you you were basically, you know, the proverbial fly on the wall. Yeah, uh, that it would be happening whether you were there or not. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I hear people to this day every once in a while. You know, when I did Bug in New York, someone will come up and say. Uh, I still, I still remember that, you know, that feeling. He's, I've never been that tense in a, th- a theater before. I've never experienced that. <laughs> and you're like, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah we did it. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. how did Friedkin direct that? Because I talked to him about it, and I yeah. tried to sort of push his buttons about digital versus film, right. you know, because he was very able to, you know, in his films to get something visceral. Uh, but he loves digital. He loves it. Yeah, well, it, it, it speeds up the process. Yeah. I mean, he seems to be definitely in the the school of, you know, let's get home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which a, a, a lot of the, you know, more established directors are, you know. I mean, uh, Sidney Lumet was the same way. Uh, it was like, why stay here for 14 hours when right. we can be done in eight hours? Right. And then we can like go have a nice dinner or something right um was it exciting to work with those guys yeah it is because if you're working with somebody that you know is going to do a lot of coverage or a lot of takes then yeah. you, then the first take you do you're kind of like well let's just see what happens yeah. and um, maybe i'll <laughs> learn something but if you know if you're working with somebody like clint eastwood it's like which i haven't done but i've just heard it's you the, the one take you know unless something blows up that's it so it's a different kind of um and you know that going in yeah, yeah so it requires you can't just be like let's see what happens you have to you know it's more demanding I right think, right know. and you and, but and also the you're dealing with personalities too i imagine yeah because I, I i have to assume having having talked to uh Friedkin for two hours yeah uh there, there's definitely an intensity there well, he was very, you know, he, you know, he saw Bug the play, and um, and he just loved Tracy's writing, and he yeah. loved he loved the production, and and he just really kind of, I don't know how to say this without sounding uh, ostentatious, but he was just like, you know what you're doing, like <laughs> you know this guy better than you know, because he had to fight to get me in that movie because the. The, the the financiers were like, can't we, let's get a big movie star or something, and and I freaking was like, I'm telling you, you can get you, you can name any name you want to name right now, but you're not going to tell me somebody's going to do this 
who's going to know how to do this more than this kid does. And you originated the role. Yeah. Yeah. So I owe Billy big time for that because yeah. uh, he really went to bat for me. So what's these new movies coming out that are that you know? Uh, and Nocturnal Animals is is very it's great. It looks great. That guy Tom Ford, I didn't know much about him, but it seems like he's a kind of a came around to directing sort of sideways. Yeah, but he, you know he he's very respectful of the fact that. Uh, that people come together and help him make these films, and he knows that it's like a, a real uh, privilege. Yeah, and, and he takes it very seriously. Um, and he's a real student of uh, of film and uh-huh. cinema. I mean, there's so many influences, obviously, all over uh, Nocturnal Animals. Um, right, right out of the gate, it felt like a, a kind of a film noir movie. Yeah, just by the look of it. Yeah, and that DP Seamus McGarvey is incredible. There's some. Some of my favorite shots of the sky are, I've ever seen in a movie are in Nocturnal Animals. He just really he used the sky so well. Do you feel like you're starting to get typecast or no? No, no, right. I don't. I, I, I mean, for me, it's like all my, all these characters are, they're different. They're just different folks, you know. I mean, I think um, because I am ultimately at the end of the day one human being. Yeah. That, uh, I don't know if I can completely disappear all the time. I mean, you're probably seeing some similarities, uh, but uh, for me, they're 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 all different different folks. You just bring that. You bring the uh, the, the intensity to it. Yeah. You are. I I saw you on a plane once. Really? Yeah. Uh, I didn't say nothing to you. No, I fly constantly. Yeah, I don't remember what it was that struck me. I knew I was nervous. Oh really? <laughs> I saw you know my God, Michael Shannon, and then like you know I, I I don't remember if I was sitting in first class or I know I think you were and I can't remember what it was I I don't know if you didn't have shoes on or there was something <laughs> I can't remember there there was something like like that like you you held the space pretty fucking well yeah you know? <laughs> even if you were just sitting down I take my shoes off from time to time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. well yeah you got to you know yeah well those long flights yeah, otherwise you get all clammy down there do you live right in, the, in Manhattan. I live in uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, in Red Hook. Oh, that's nice. You yeah, I live it. right by the uh, the river there. I can see the uh, Statue of Liberty from my window, which is nice. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I was just there. I, I you, you know, I, I lived there for years. I don't know if I want to live there again, but I, I like being there. Yeah, it's what, alive. Where did you live at? I lived in I, in the late eighties. I lived down in Alphabet City, second between A and B. Oh wow! And then uh, moved up to Sixteenth uh, and Third. Little uh, pre-war high-rise there. That's a very yeah. interesting place. Wow. And then I moved to Astoria for a pretty long haul. I never go to Queens. I was just talking about this the other day. I, I and I hear it's so interesting out there. But I, I loved never it. Get, I and and it was that. there before. I was there. Like I don't know if it ever really turned into a hipster enclave. But yeah. the amazing thing about Astoria was, you know, you get off that end train at uh, you know Thirtieth Ave, and it was just like all hours of the day. It was just like. Every kind of person in the world just buying vegetables. Like you, right when you get off, there's just these like three or four vegetable places, and there's just people there till like midnight. Right. You know, buying greens. You know, Greek people, people from Dominican Republic, people right. from you know uh, Middle Eastern countries. Then up on Steinway, there's that whole Egyptian block. Right. That you know, you just you just walk around the corner, and it's like I never even knew what Egyptian pastries look like. Wow. And there they are. It was just. It was it's a real melting pot. Oh, it. Totally, yeah, and I, yeah. I imagine it still is. Yeah, you know, I just, I just miss uh, the things I miss about New York. It's just, 
everything's so alive and you know and all the food like you know you go there i used to go to the fish market across the street and there's these three guys there italian guys they've been running it as family business and you just go i didn't even need fish i just go into to look at fish right because it was there yeah and those guys were there and yeah. i talk about fish for a few minutes <laughs> that's what i that's what i like about are you me. a cook i cook i yeah. can cook you know i'm not a I'm not a foodie kind of gourmet guy, but I can, yeah, I could cook a fish. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always a happy event. <laughs> I've, I've fucked up some attempts at soft shell crabs and like, you know, but like, you know, just, you know, nobody likes bluefish because it's, you know, oily and smelly, but if you get oh, it. I love the, bluefish. Me too. Yeah. You get it the day of, it's the best. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, a, it's like the, it's like a pigeon fish, you know, no one gives a fuck about bluefish, <laughs> but you can just go get it in New York fresh because it's all over the place and I don't know, mackerel. Right. Yeah. So you cook? I I'm not very good myself, which is sometimes uh, inconvenient because I have a couple of kids. Um, it's just you and the kids? No, I mean Ma's around too, but she's a great cook. But you know, every once in a while, it's up to me to make breakfast. Or <laughs> yeah, whatever. yeah, sure. Yeah. How old are your kids? I have an eight year old and a two year old. Wow! So they're just you're just watching them become people. Yeah, apparently today they they went into the city. I know this won't help because it's a podcast, but I could show you. This is my eight-year-old daughter with a sign she made to go protest in front of Trump Tower. Oh, diversity makes America. America. That's sweet. Eight years old. She gets it. Yeah. So, uh... Anyway, that's what you got to do. Yeah, that's what you got to teach him. That's how you. That's how we push back. Yeah, yeah. I miss her. I miss. I hate being away uh, so much. But um, yeah, they're becoming people, all right. And then the little one, the two-year-old, she's a real, she's a real powder <laughs> keg. She's. I think she's going to be a rock and roller. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'd be all right, right? Yeah, she loves to dance and sing and, and beautiful. Yeah. That's got to bring a, a lot of joy. Definitely. It's Definitely. great talking to you, man. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, thanks for, for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing it. No problem. Pretty intense dude. Great talking to him. Good guy. We hung out for a little while after. We, we, had, we talked a little more. Connected. Talked about art, the future. About being people. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it simple.